Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market M&A in Private Equity. I'm your host, Mario Negro, a partner in the Private Equity M&A Group at Stegman Elliott. For today's episode, I'm happy to introduce uh, Sean Flynn, who's uh, joining us uh, to talk about rep and warranty insurance in Canada and uh, the role that uh, rep and warranty is playing in the marketplace and its use by private equity firms. Um, Sean is the vice president and co-head of M&A Insurance at BFL. And BFL is one of the uh, largest, if not the, the largest providers of this rep and warranty insurance product in Canada. I thought we'd start by uh, giving Sean an opportunity to talk a little bit about himself, BFL, what they do, and um, just tell us a little bit about uh, about the product in the marketplace. Sean, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'll turn it over to you to kind of do some, some intros on your end. Perfect. Th- thank you, Mario. Uh, always a pleasure to be speaking with you and uh, thrilled to be on your podcast. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, th- thanks for the intro. We, we can uh, add you to BFL soon to do uh, some BD for us. That was, that was excellent. Uh, I've been at uh, BFL for two and a half years um, now, uh, focused on M&A insurance, along with my colleague, John Antonecki in, in Montreal. And I was at Scotiabank for about seven years prior to that, but, but at BFL, focused on M&A, which is rep and warranty insurance largely, and some tax insurance and other insurance needs for private equity um, buyers, which we're focused on today. Um, and, and, and what I love about being at this firm, BFL, is the, the size and scale that we have. We have uh, 21 offices across the country, 850 employees. But with that growth, we've kept a really entrepreneurial spirit. We've got great ex- um specialization in sectors. So I know whoever I'm speaking to on the buy side, when we look at deals, we, we can dig into uh, our kind of like sector specialists. And and John and I just really pride ourselves with really being plugged into the marketplace and, and knowing what's going on. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing, a little bit about BFL and um, yeah, supporting uh, private equity firms on the buy side. You know, sometimes people are doing a portfolio reallocation and looking to bring things to market on the sell side. We can get uh, tapped in there, and and through you know building trust and credibility through deal practitioners like yourself, uh, we're lucky enough to to find our way into support M and A transactions. Um, and I know sure. we're speaking to the private sure. equity world right now. Yeah. And 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 I wanted to start, Sean. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about rep and warranty insurance and its use and its growth in Canada. Uh, maybe we do a quick, quick just introduction to the product and, and how you're seeing it be used. And particularly, I, you know, as we both know, private equity firms in Canada and, and, and people, private equity firms who do deals in Canada are looking at it extensively. Yeah, I, I think in the, in the two and a half years I've been doing it, the, the growth has been phenomenal. I, I think at some maybe bulge bracket, uh, you know, into the institutional pensions that uh, that are also involved in private equity direct deals um the awareness is the maturation of the product i think is is well underway but we're still having conversations on a daily basis with with players throughout the the market um on what is it how does it work um increasingly people are being asked to bring it when they're um in a deal process but to answer your question mario it uh rep and warranty insurance is protecting um, the insured from any unknown breaches in a purchase and sale agreement. Um, and, and through that, um, you know, there's expectation of really good diligence from the buyer and disclosure from the seller, but it's a way for um, the sellers to essentially um, have a cleaner close. And that was kind of the whole genesis of the product and to be able to um, 
have more proceeds uh, on clothes and have a, a cleaner clothes for the seller. Um, and, and also on the buy side for the private equity buyers, it's the ability to buy up additional coverage or survival of reps. Or I, I know I hear this one from private equity buyers often is they are partnering with someone uh, because there's a great opportunity to, to bring in the private equities, capital expertise relationships, take a great business, keep management there, roll some equity. And I think right now in the pandemic, we're seeing people that maybe have stretched balance sheets and can't achieve their strategy. So you bring in a private equity buyer to, you know, in the next five, seven, as some hold periods are really extended, someone to come in, but because that management team is rolling over equity, it's really nice to put this product in place because you're kind of protecting that relationship. So if there's any unknown breaches of the reps and warranties that happen after deal close, that private equity buyer has a lot of confidence that they can go to an insurer um, for the claims process and keep that relationship with the management management team intact. And, and you know, so I wanted to ask you, you uh, bring up a good point. You know, traditionally, you know, when we look at this product where its benefit has been, has been a, it's a first source of recovery um, and, and in Canada, it wasn't the sole source of recovery. Um, and it kind of, to your point, made it easier. Uh, in your relationship, particularly with sellers who roll over, because instead of going after them directly, you'd go rely on the policy first. But more and more, uh, I noticed in the marketplace, and I wanted to get your thoughts, you know, we're seeing the evolution of the product, and particularly the evolution of the product to kind of reflect where other jurisdictions are going, uh, who are ahead of us in its use, you know, the US, the UK. And what we're starting to see is, you know, some, some, uh, you know, some, some, favorable elements of the policy, particularly for sellers, where now, you know, more and more in Canada, for example, we're seeing what we call the walkaway policy, where, where the buyer is willing to rely on the policy for all claims and not just as the first source of recovery or, or you know, whereas traditionally, maybe it was uh, the only source of recovery for general uh, for, for breaches of general rep. Now it's become the only source of recovery. And I want to get your thoughts on that and, and also any other kind of trends you're seeing uh, in terms of the evolution of the use of this product for M&A deals in Canada. And and particularly uh, if, if it's private equity firms that are driving it or, you know, who you see driving it. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're bang on that kind of walk away, no seller indemnity, public style structure. When we go to market, the insurance market for quotes on a new deal, we are typically getting a shared retention and a um, kind of no seller um, indemnity retention structure. We're pricing out both because you don't know where a deal will go. And to your point in the US, the prevalence of no seller indemnity structures walk away. It, it, it must be 50 or 60% of deals that use insurance. Um, in Canada, it's it's much lower, but it is growing. We, we had a deal a, a few months back, sub $20 million enterprise value deal. It was structured as a, as a shared retention. Um, and, and then later in the process, it switched to a no seller indemnity and that's fine. It just comes at a slightly higher premium. And just to back up for the listener, what, what we're kind of speaking to is if you have a, a $10 million policy on a $100 million enterprise value deal, the retention or the aggregate deductible is 1% or a million dollars. And a lot of times that retention split 50-50 buyer and seller. Um, and, and the insurers like that because there's some skin in the game from the seller to kind of be there to properly disclose. But to your point, Mario, seller's market, 
investment bankers running, um, you know, fast auctions of, of really coveted assets. We've been able to kind of push this all off on the buyer to, at times, pay for it all, although we still see it's the, the cost of the insurance split. But maybe that retention is borne completely by the buyer and, and that buyer, um, you're right, their, their sole source of, of recourse, um, absent fraud, is the is the rep warranty policy. So that's where we really, really try to be, um, John and I, really proactive with our clients, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, kind of when you sign your LOI, what is your diligence scope? Let's understand what this target business does. What are the kind of those real focus areas for insurers? Because we want to make sure your diligence matches up with the expectations of the insurer to make that coverage as broad as possible because um, to your point in that kind of a structure, there's not a, you're really only looking to the policy. Um, and now I know, you know, yeah. Ed, so, yep. sorry, no, go ahead. I, I was I, going I, to speak to other trends, but we'll get there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things I was, I was going to touch on. So um, I, Joe, you know, tr tr Sean, traditionally this, this product kind of almost came to market in Canada and became popular because of its use in the U.S. by private equity firms who would kind of try to win deals on terms. Better, better words, they might not be beating people on price, but they kind of almost sell this product as a way to kind of keep keep money in the seller's pockets and, you know, you know, lower risk. Easy to deal uh, with. And yeah. I, is that, I mean, is it still in your experience in terms of the, the policies you see put to work from a trends point of view, is it still private equity firms that are your biggest customers? Who would you say right now are your key customers? Where do you see it going in terms of growth uh, to get a sense of your, uh, of the use of the product? So when, when John and I looked at our deals done in 2020, it was a straight split on financial buyers and strategic buyers. And financial private equity, you know, there was a, a sprinkling of family office, pension, search funds, um, you know, even fundless sponsors. So, there, you know, there's a, a big world of financial sponsors and just speaks to how competitive things are right now. But um, I would say straight 50-50. But what that really shows too is that the, the corporate strategics are using this, especially the serial acquirers, um, and, and they used it once and, and really like it and, and continue to think of it and contemplate it on transactions going forward. Um, but when we speak to kind of trends and where is it going, Mario, um, it's everything from um, we saw one deal late 2020. It's um, a hotly contested auction. And this is a real U.S. trend that we thought would be turned off with with the pandemic, but as you know, deal flow came roaring back June, July, and on to Q4, Q1, uh, 2021. But is the concept of you're in a competitive process, a private equity firm, and the banker is narrowing the group of potential buyers down to two or three, and is now forcing everyone with no exclusivity to bring a, an underwritten bindable insurance policy, do all your diligence, um, before you know if you're the selected buyer. So that comes at a higher cost because you, you're engaging an insurance company um, and, and you don't have exclusivity, so it could fall away. So there's kind of a non-refundable cost there. But, but that's a trend that in certain sectors, certain deal sizes, we think will continue. Um, there's minority deals that seek rep and warranty insurance. And we probably saw this first come out of the Quebec marketplace with institutional buyers um, investing alongside GP partners. 
and, and looking to have insurance and do that on a no seller base, no seller indemnity basis, like we're speaking um, about um, reps die close and, and you have the policy in place as a minority investor, keep the relationship intact. But we're seeing it slide down to the lower market too on, on minority deals, just deals sub $20 million. There's a lot of flexibility in being able to underwrite certain reps. We've, we've had deals where we looked at only fundamentals, perhaps just IP. Um, and, and one that I know you and I worked on, uh, you know, it's probably a couple years ago already, but tax insurance. So those come up from time to time where there's a known and we're, we're kind of leaving the, the rep and warranty space, but there's a known or an uncertain um, or perceived tax exposure. And if that is a supportable um, identifiable tax position, it, it could be transferred um, through underwriting to an insurance company's balance sheet, take the issue out for both buyer and seller and kind of allow everyone to truck on and get the deal done. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, uh, where you see the product going? I mean, you've talked about some of the trends. Is there anything, Sean, you say, hey, look, I know other jurisdictions are doing it. We may see this in our, is there anything like that you see out there when you look at the crystal ball in terms of where you see this product going uh, in the marketplace in Canada? And that could be, you know, who's using it, uh, how it's used, some new innovations. Anything else you see in terms of other jurisdictions or just stuff you're hearing out there that, that where this product can go? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I was speaking to some things like the Canadian market's a little smaller, so it needs to be able to support smaller deals. And we're seeing that. We, we saw a deal sub $10 million get insured. So if it makes sense for everyone because there are minimum costs. But two things that come to mind about further innovation. Um, you know, the first one is probably on... Um, I'm thinking secondaries, which is becoming a bigger space. And, you know, when there's a, a GP restructuring and a new um, new LPs, new money comes in and that GP wants to control that portfolio of, portfolio of businesses for longer, um, we, you can have rep and warranty put in place for fundamental reps um, there. And then the other coverage area, um, I, I think might speak more to like a lot of funds that are coming on right now, Mario, um, you know, the classic buyout is is still there, but there's people specializing in, you know, maybe agriculture, enterprise software, aviation, or roll-up strategies. And, and that could be in life sciences, healthcare, any number of areas. And, and I think working with very flexible underwriters, maybe not having a programmatic rep and warranty program, uh, but um, having a very nimble solution that someone can bring that to the table move on it very quickly and be part of their key terms when they think of speed execution, the coverage they need. And it allows that, you know, bootstrapped seller or fragmented shareholder base to walk away um, with a clean close. I, I think that kind of um, programmatic um, approach to it uh, could be, could be a place we're going. Um, and, and like I said, ability to do smaller deals um, and, and just be flexible and support um you know, investment managers, private equity firms, uh, I think is uh, where it needs to go to follow the transactions. And, and last question for you, Sean, I wanted to get your sense. I mean, you brought up an interesting trend, which is the growth of the use of the product by non-private equity firms, you know, the corporates uh, particularly who are starting to use it. I mean, do you think that this product will still be a product that's primarily used by private equity firms, or do you think that this is a product that as it evolves, it evolves to 
uh, a larger kind of base of potential users or is it still kind of a product that's really attuned to where private equity firms are in terms of doing deals? We, we strongly feel it, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the toolkit for a lot of private equities and will continue to be. But we do think that, you know, whether it's a, a strategic that is, is looking to it for corporate governance or a way to, um, to, to become a little bit more comfortable with the deal. Um, we, we definitely think that it has um, continued growth with, with all players in the M&A marketplace. I mean, I had an investment banker reach out to me yesterday and ask, can you support public take privates? And, and that is something that the insurance markets are having a little bit more appetite for, like a true public uh, uh, target and using rep warranty insurance on it. So I think there's lots of potential, Mario. It's just, um, I, I do think insurers, like pricing is going up uh, with claims paid. So the product needs to work. The product needs to pay. Um, I think insurers are demonstrating that, but pricing is is elevating um, to respond to that. And I think underwriting is getting a little sharper too. So it's making sure, again, being proactive with our clients, what diligence is being done. You know, take a thing like cyber ransomware. That is a much bigger risk than it used to be. So just getting ahead of potential issues to make sure the coverage is uh you know what, what the buyer needs sean i want to thank you for joining us today it's been uh, super interesting to have you and very insightful and to see this product uh, continue to grow uh, it's it's great great for the market great for sellers and, and great for buyers